So it's the closest I've ever come to being run over. That was nearly our last podcast last week. Oh, no. So as I crossed the guy, wasn't looking. Sure wasn't Donna. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, he wasn't looking. Other side of the road, swerved across. And then, like, my life flashed before my eyes. And then I was like, I remember blowing up the Death Star. And I remember saving all the hostages in Nakatomi Plaza. And I thought, no, that was Luke Skywalker and John McClane. Wasn't my life at all. Watched too many movies, mate. Welcome to Watch It If You Can. My name is Liam. My name is Dave. This podcast is all about box sets we've created of our favourite films and TV shows. Some you've seen, some you won't, and others you may never ever want to watch. However, we can say, if you've never seen Breaking Bad, then say my name. All we want to do is chat on about these films and TV shows that we love so much, and maybe, just maybe, Watch it if you can. First question for you, Dave, is what is it? So, when we started making our lists, I knew a Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer produced film would be on it at some point. Yes. Uh, we both grew up watching those films. Um, there's a few I did want to talk about. Maybe another will come up in the future episodes. We could talk about maybe Beverly Hills Cop, The Rock, Top Gun, Bad Boys. But I've gone with Crimson Tide. Okay, very interesting. So the next question would be... Why have you made that choice? Of all the Simpsons and Brockheimer films, and don't get me wrong, we could literally make a podcast on them two alone, which I think we should maybe do one day. Um, what made you pink Crimson Tide? So I think it's easily one of the best films. So this came out in 1995. It's directed by uh, the late Tony Scott, who we're going to talk a little bit about later. Um, if you don't know, it's set on a submarine called the USS Alabama. It's during a time, uh, you'll never imagine this, where Russia... And ultra nationalists are threatening to launch nuclear missiles. At oh, US. what a what a what total fiction! <laughs> total, total fiction, fiction. Um, at the US and Japan. So, I will say, I know the idea of a war movie. It can put people off, can't it? People yes. don't really enjoy them. But let's be clear: this is it's an action thriller, and it's a tense one. Um, I do love a tense movie, and this is right up there with any of those edgier seat movies. Um, what I find weird as well is, it, and you've watched it again recently, haven't you? It does, never feels claustrophobic, does it? Literally, I've literally just wrote that word down here. <laughs> because submarine films, and you would imagine... Yeah. Yes. And, and you're right, it's, it's, it's not claustrophobic because... You always get the size and the scale, I think. Yeah, you, you, it, it's a big submarine. Mm. And I tell you, there's a really good scene shows that off is the scene where Denzel Denzel Washington who's in it bit of a spoiler for your next (laughs) question but he's he's running around because he's doing and you realise how big it is and he kept going up and down stairs (laughs) yeah there's like obviously many layers to the to the submarine and and just before they get on the submarine you see how many people actually get on as well and you sort of see the the scale and the size of it so don't let the fact that it's a war movie put you off It, it, it is a tense action thriller um I think right up even until the final 10 minutes, I just think you're always on the edge watching this film. Um, it's even tense before that actual confrontation so, so starts. What, so just just as a brief overview, what's the basic premise of the film? So the, the basic premise is that there's tensions going on with Russia, USA and Japan. Denzel Washington... Um, characters being sort of assigned to be the the exo to the the, the captain Gene Hackman on this uh, submarine, and basically, as they're in the water, they do they do cross come across another Russian uh, submarine, and during the course of the movie, we get what are called emergency action mes- action messages yes. that keep coming through. 
And these are basically the messages that tell them either to, you know, get ready to arm your torpedo, uh, your, sorry, your nuclear weapons or not. And during part of the movie, spoiler, they sort of lose contact. Yeah. Um, you know, they lose those radio waves and they only have a partial kind of message. So basically the debate is, do we launch our nuclear capabilities on the submarine or do we try and re-establish contact and wait and get a full yes. message? And that's the... That's, the premise of the film is is based around, and I think as that, well, really, it's it's the battle of wills of the two main characters, which is what I find the most fascinating thing about the film is, is, and it leads into the next question: Who's in the film? Well, just before we move on to that, oh. um, I do want to say that apart from the fact that everyone involved in the film is amazing, you've got you know it's a Simpson book, I Tony Scott, Gene Hackman. Uh, Denzel Washington. There's also the music from Hans Zimmer, which we'll yes. talk about a little bit later. Okay. Um, and I did want to say, well, this is another movie where not seeing the trailer, only seeing the poster, going in not knowing um, is why I think it blew us away in 1995 because yes. we did see this together as well. Yeah, we saw this together. In the I, old I, Edge Lane cinema. I believe this was one of them films you went to see when it was a pound for a film. I think it might have been, yeah. I'm pretty sure it I think it, it might have been on that day. I think it was we literally spent the whole day in Edge Lane cinema. <laughs> but I've seen this like dozens of times since and I don't think the tension ever lets up. No, do you know, do you know what's quite strange because I, I re-watched it again um, I've had a little thing. I'm not a big rewatcher of films, which I've 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 come to. And when since we started doing the podcast, I've actually go oh, I, apart from the obvious franchises like MCU, Star Wars, um, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, which I've seen the franchise a couple of times. I'm not a big rewatcher of films at all, and it's something see, I am. See, yeah, and I think that's going, and I think that's where we. We've had this chat before about if I was choosing between a TV box set and a film, I'd, I'm a rewatcher of box sets more than a film. So this is where it's been even more enjoyable for me because I got to see Crimson Tide again, and it it did take me back. I vividly remember being in Edge Lane Cinema with you, and it was quite a packed cinema. I seem mm-hmm. to remember. I think it was. If anyone's listening who runs a cinema. Doing a day where it's pound for a film is actually a good way of getting people in your tours. I don't know what would be the equivalent. That would be 95. So if they say a pound doubles in value every 10 years, so the equivalence would be like 95, <laughs> 2005, 2015, 2020. So it'd be like one pound, two pound, four pound. <laughs> it'd be like, to be fair, it'd be like saying it's eight pounds, which is pretty much what we pay anyway. Yeah, but so maybe a pound. That doesn't sound right. No, maybe. no, you're you're doing it for like inflation. It's not going to work. It's meant Sorry. to be an offer, isn't it? It's meant to be. <laughs> let's get people in the door. Not let's charge common prices and see if they'll come three times. But I do remember <laughs> that the the cinema was packed, and it was it mm. was a, it was a really good year of films as well. Yeah, definitely, and I think it was at a time as well where you, you did have to wait twelve months for things to come on. To, yes, so. To, to VHS at the time. So yeah. you would go to the cinema a lot more, whereas now there's only like a 45-day window. So if you do miss something, like there's a couple of films that have come on the cinema and I've just thought, I'll just wait because it's yeah. not. Yeah. It's not the same as I'd, waiting anymore. I'd forgot about, it's one thing we haven't even mentioned, that there was a distinct difference between cinema and video back in them days. It was massive, wasn't it? Yeah. It was like, if, if you missed it on the cinema, you were waiting months. Like, yeah, I can't remember. I think the window, I think the window was maybe something like, was it something like six months then? It was on it VHS, must right? and then be, 12 months when it was on the TV. I think it was something like that, I think, actually, wasn't I it? I think it got complicated. It, it got complicated when Sky turned up because mm. it was three years before it could go on terrestrial TV. But Sky did a That's deal right. where they could take it a year, something like that. Um, I think what we're trying to say for, like, especially probably our younger listener, if, if they're out there, it was a case of if a film came on the cinema, you had to go and see it. Yeah. Because you just didn't really realise how long you were going to have to wait. Whereas now, you probably go, well, I'll stream that because it's probably, you know, if you take, like, um, Glass Onion, which is on the cinema now, yes. it's going to be on Netflix in, in a couple of weeks' time. So, yeah. You think, well, I could, I'd love to go see it on the big screen, but party thinks, well, I'll just wait and watch it. Home uh, and do you know what? We didn't have that option. Kids these days can watch a trailer on YouTube 
find it online within minutes and watch it. Yeah. Like, do, do you know what I mean? I'm not, 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 not them condoning any of that, that online streaming or anything, but even if it's legit, it's, we would see a trailer on, and very few, there was a couple of TV shows on that were like movie reviews. Obviously, BBC with... Barry Norman. Barry Norman was probably our our main inroad into finding out what was actually on, the, the, the what was coming. The two things you'd find out was Barry Norman used to have his show every year, didn't which like, you know, yeah. film, Quite 1999. And always late called. night as well, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, some people say it was really late. And also what was on really, really late, and I don't know why, but they used to have the US top 10. Yes, on ITV. It was the nighttime yeah. TV, yeah. Really yeah. late. And it wasn't even the trailer. It would be maybe a 15-second clip yes. of each kind of film. Yeah. So you would look and go... So, our listener probably can't imagine this again if they're younger than us. That we used to watch that, see a clip for a film that we probably weren't going to see for like no. six months. Yeah, we would literally, <laughs> if, if we ever did, because this was back in a day where there were literally films that never made it to yeah, release. It's a, it's a bit more because di- it social media and the media in general, everything's so open these days, and we are a lot more of a, a globalist society, but. There's stuff that never made it over here, or, you know. And if it flopped over there, it wouldn't yeah, get a release yeah, here, would it? Yeah, probably yeah. go straight to VHS. Definitely. But go on, ask me who's in it then, because okay. this is a good one. Okay then. So, Dave, who's in Crimson Tide? <laughs> so, we'll start with Gene Hackman. Oh. So, he has just had an amazing career. He's probably. He probably became a household name after playing uh, Popeye Doyle in The French Connection. Yes. Um, he went on to star in The Poseidon Adventure, The Conversation, Unforgiven, oh, um, Enemy of the State. He's just got great films in between all those. I've just picked a few out. Um, and, and best thing about Gene Hackman is he plays great baddies. I, I really... He does yeah. play... And he brings depth to bad characters as well, which is, the, the, you know, they're never just mm. cartoon baddies. And we'll probably come on to it later about whether there is a good or a baddie in this yes. this film. So I don't think there's many actors with a more impressive list. If you go on IMDb, listener, have a look. You know, he was Lex Luthor in the Christopher Reeve Superman yes. films. Um, he has won two of his five Oscar nominations. He's one he's, of the all-time... Gene Ackman's won two, two Oscars. Yeah, yeah, he won two of his five, two of the five nominations. That's not a bad. That's not a bad ratio, though, is it? An old man who's got a better one, though. Okay, and who who would that be? <laughs> so Denzel Washington, then. Um... It's like we planned this. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I, actually, I'm I'm wrong. See, way around, Gene Hackman's got the better ratio, but Denzel Washington, um, he probably became a household name because he used to be in the TV series Saint Elsewhere. Did you used to watch that. I I, I, I remember it. I'm trying to picture it. It was... Um, it's like an ER of its, of its day, really. Yes. It was a hospital kind of drama. Um, he has got a movie list that's oh. just like Gene Hackman's. You can talk about it all day. We could probably do episodes about Malcolm X, Philadelphia, Man on Fire. Where he outdoes Hackman is on the nominations. So he's, he's been nominated 10 times. Oh, shut the front. That's just greedy. <laughs> that is just greedy. And won twice. So he won it first as Best Supporting Actor in Glory. And then he did win it for Training Day. I think you've got to take into consideration the era at which Denzel Washington was nominated for 10 times. And let's be honest, it's only been the last few years that diversity has really been trumped. Like sort of really tried to be better in Hollywood because for all what Hollywood did it was very liberal it wasn't as diverse as as they'd like to make out so for him to have actually been nominated 10 times in his career he's he's literally he's broke that ceiling gone through to the next floor built an extension (laughs) got back onto the roof I think you could go on IMDB scroll through it stop on any one of their films and we could do an episode about yeah. any of the films they've, they've both been in. So they are your two main stars. There is some familiar faces. So Viggo Mortensen, he's um, Avagon in Lord of the Rings. Yes. Um, James Galdafini is in it. Not a huge part. Um, you'll know him, listener. He was obviously Tony Soprano. He's sadly, sadly not with us anymore. 
Um, there's a blink and you miss appearance from Steve Zahn. He's currently in the hit show uh, White Lotus, which is on uh, Sky at the minute. There's also some very blink and you miss it ones. Ryan Philippe, who was in, I know what he did last summer, is one of the the, the, the people on the uh, the sub. Um, someone you might have noticed, and I want to know if you noticed when you were watching it, but one of our favourite shows is The Oval. Yes. Yeah, so no Malloy in The Oval is he's played by Scott Grimes. He was in Crimson Tide, and he's in the scene where Gene Hackman is trying to convince Viggo Mortensen to open the safe, and he won't do it, and he grabs another sailor and threatens him. That's him. That's, that is that's... Scott Grimes, who's Malloy in, in The Oval. Which I obviously wouldn't have known. You no, know, I've because got, I watched it again recently in the He must have been really young. He's really, really young. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No no beard, sort of shaved hair. And it it but it's literally blinking and miss it. So if you're a big fan of the oval, you'll you'll probably recognise him um, straight away. Um another little fun fact though was Tommy Lee Jones and Val Kilmer both turned this down. So Tommy Lee Jones was offered the Gene Hackman part. Okay. Turned it down. Um but it's a little bit unclear what part Val Kilmer was offered. So I don't know if it was the Denzel part or I think I've got a feeling it might have been the Vigo more to someone, which isn't a huge part. Yeah. But them two were both linked and both turned it down. That's interesting. So, because well, we were just talking about it before, I mentioned, did you notice um, one of the, the character, there was a radio operator who had to rebuild because obviously it's all built around getting this message. Yeah. I was an actor called, I think his name's Alilo Broncato. Um, I'm terrible at pronouncing names. <laughs> and forget how names are pronounced quite often of actors. Um, but most of avid film watchers will remember him from the film Bronx Tale. He played the young main character um Robert De Niro directed it, but he was also Robert De Niro played his dad. He was also in a series of Sopranos, but it's not just that I mentioned about just because as as I was researching, it was quite a fascinating story, and I'd, I'd, I've not got onto this at all. But around after Sopranos, he was struggling quite quite bad with with drug addiction, and he ended up involved in a home burglary where the home they were, they were robbing basically belonged to an off-duty cop and he ended up getting he ended up getting murdered um by the person who Lilo was with and I think it was some sort of like his father-in-law or something crazy right. like that absolutely crazy. so we ended up going um he actually got charged with I think second degree murder so it was it was quite serious um he didn't go down for second degree murder but he did go down for for burglary and accessory so i think he got he still was sent down for like a 10 year stretch in quite a hardcore prison and and i actually remember bronx tale is one of my favorite films of all time it's an amazing film and they, all this story of 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 of, of Lila was completely passed me by and so i was chatting to someone in work about it the other day he said there's a Netflix documentary about him. Right. I can't remember what's called. Something like called Wasted Talent, something like that. And I need to go and watch it now because it, it absolutely fascinated me. And to the point where he's since come out of prison and he's actually getting his career back together. And he's been very open about his troubles right. with addiction. Because he must only be really young in this because he looks... <laughs> yes. He only looks about 18, 19. He looks really... Unless he's, you know, he's just got a young face. But I, in, I think he in was... In this film, he certainly is... It must be certainly one of his first films, I think. Yeah. Um, so it was a fact, like, you know, and I love... There's always these fascinating stories attached to Hollywood films. I thought that was quite a, quite a hardcore one and on such mm. a life as a young person. And again, it highlights that pressures and issues with being thrust into fame. You, you know, if you're not ready for it and you you have basically addiction or mental health problems, it, it it's quite a serious thing. And I can go, you know, and I don't know if if they're looked after as much as they should do you know actors you know this is possibly another podcast that we could possibly do on but it, it's, it's a familiar story isn't yeah, it's it yeah it's sad isn't it and he's, he's really good in the movie I know he's, he's not he's fantastic he's not got again he's the, the two main characters are Hackman and Washington and yeah 
Um, everyone in it is is brilliant. Gandolfini, like I say, for the, oh, the small part he's got. I, I'd brilliant. forgot he was in it, yeah. Gandolfini. And this was pre-Sopranos, because I think Sopranos was another three or four years, I think 1999 Sopranos. Was Viggo Mortensen, I think, is perfectly cast in it. He, this so was literally... On the cusp of of Lord of the Rings as well. That was about wasn't that like late nineties as well. So this was literally just him on the on the. It, it catches both Vega Mortensen and Egan Lafini just at, at the start of their careers. That they're just about to, you know. Hence why they're only in small parts as well. But yeah, I think I think I do think that's probably the part Val Kilmer turned down because I think Val Kilmer was a big star then, wasn't he? I think yes, it is a co-star role and not yeah. But he must be kicking himself, I think, not to be in it. <laughs> I think yeah. I, I would be if I was in his shoes. So. And, and what's quite interesting about Val Kilmer as well is, is have you seen a documentary that yeah, he's it's done? Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's actually quite hard. Is, and what, of all the things he speaks about, he speaks about making of Top Gun, which is Tony Scott, yeah. as one of the most positive experiences of his film career, which I found quite surprising. So, and... An opportunity to work with Tony Scott again, and he passed it up. I find, you know, I don't know. Uh, yeah, like I say, it's not. It's it's unclear. It is unclear what role it was. So speaking of Tony Scott, how good is Tony Scott? <laughs> <laughs> Tony Scott, um, I think he just he he made he he made films for me. I think yes. Um, so, so what? Let's see. Let's have a look at films. Let's have a list. Yeah, of bring, films. do you want to bring up a, a little so list? So, I'm gonna go on. Where do you think we're getting this on? So, oh my god. Well, should we t- just quickly again for listener? If you don't know, Tony Scott, he did sadly take his own life. He he, he <sighs> died um, August 2012. He, I forgot about that. So like, yeah, he, the, the he, circumstances of his. Well, death. he did leave a note, but his family have never actually disclosed. The content. Yes. It wasn't known that he, he had any sort of illness. Um, before you look at the full list, some of the ones that I've made a note are Top Gun, obviously, Beverly yes. Hills Cop 2, True Romance, Enemy of the State, which has Gene Hackman again. And he did a couple of other films with, with Denzel as well. He did Man on Fire and Deja Vu. Yeah, just literally look at them. Um, it is a shame, you know, we just didn't get any more movies from him. He was only 68, 68 at the time. It's you know, he died. in Hollywood so director terms, that's very often a period of, of rich rich talent, do you know what I mean? Like he, directors can go through that period and then you cut the 60s and you, they have like a little... A little sort of come back because they're just a little bit older and experienced. Yeah, well, I mean, well, look at his brother. So if you don't know, Tony yeah. Scott is, uh, he's the brother of Ridley Scott and Ridley Scott did Aliens, Blade Runner, yeah. Gladiator, you know, just to name a, to name a few. So 68 is, is no age. No you know, age. Ridley, Ridley's his older brother and Ridley's, you know, still making movies and is, I think he's currently making a film about, um, is he Hannibal? I think it is with Joaquin Phoenix. I think he's making a big, you know, he makes big budget movies and did Prometheus and uh, those, those other um, films linked to the the original Alien. Um, yeah, and so I'm just looking for the obviously Beverly Hills Cop, Top Gun, oh, just a couple of George Michael videos as well. It's very great. I love, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Like when a big Hollywood well director is still going to do stuff, and it's just like it's literally. Simpson on Brockheimer, who we mentioned before, it's almost like he's their go-to guy for a lot of the films, like Days of Thunder. Yeah. Um, and also, True Romance is quite often overlooked. True Romance is a great, is a great film, probably one we could do on here, couldn't we? With um, Brad Pitt is amazing, isn't he? It's Gary Oldman's in it, isn't he? Um, but also, who um, Quentin Tarantino wrote the script, it's how he got his Hollywood career up and running yeah um, so Tarantino obviously does does a little bit of dialogue yes for this um, uncredited yeah it's writer. uncredited but you will absolutely it's, know what it, what so it is I, I, when I watched it again the other day is I picked out three scenes which I think are Tarantino wrote. okay so well, we'll come to that when we do the the best scenes then becomes yeah. the best scenes okay. so let's get me questions up so 
We'll cut this bit out because question for you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm holding four fingers up. We'll cut this out. So, who is your favourite character and why? So, I don't think you can choose between the two leads. Um, I think both are just on like top form. So again, the main story of the film does resolve, revolve around that, you know, a partial, partial message the submarine gets and whether they should launch the nuclear missiles or not. So the Hackman character, who is, he's that acting captain. He thinks they should. Washington Carrow wants them to wait, doesn't he? Yes. Um, the, the thing with the film is that both believe each other is right and neither one are yes. going to back down in that, that whole power struggle back and forth. So... With Hackman though, that the, like the character does come across as quite cold because he is like an old sort of army veteran. See, I, I've wrote that in one of my notes. It's the, what I sort of picked out because their their relationship is basically the film, as far as I'm concerned. Forget about yeah. the, the, the backdrop of war. Take it right down to the, like the granular look at this film and it's the relationship and and difference between Hackman and Washington and is a generational difference. Yeah, because what we find out about Gene Hackman is that he has actually seen combat. Yes. So, you know, he's kind of been there, done that. Whereas um, Washington is come from the Harvard background because he even because even when he's going through his history of yeah. where he came from the Navy, oh, and a year in Harvard too. It was almost like he's all theory and Hackman is all practice. But then there is scenes where you see how much Hackman does care about the crew. So there's that 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 scene where there's just been a fire and Hackman decides he's going to start a drill because he thinks that's the best time to yeah. do it. But when they find out one of the crew is, is, is you know, suffering, potentially, he cancels it and yeah. puts it straight. And you do see, you see Denzel Washington give him a look as if, like, he's suddenly surprised that, oh, actually, he does care because he never, you know, you, you don't get that from him. He's very, by but, the, you know. But he's also very old school because in, yeah. in, in the opposite, like Denzel Washington says, that, you know, he's concerned about the, the well-being of the men. So he, mm. so Hackman just gets the microphone. <laughs> so we're <laughs> having a little chat here and Denzel Washington character seems to think you've got problems. If you've got problems, get off the submarine. You, you were going to war. Yeah. So it, 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 there is that, that mentality. I think he knows he's got, because he makes a reference, doesn't he, to how young everyone is on yes. the submarine. And I think he's trying to be that authority figure isn't he but yes. he, I think he generally does care whereas Washington's character does come across he's a bit more he is a bit more controlled he is a bit more maybe of a bureaucrat would you say yes um, than, than he is maybe a soldier he's very biable but Washington just jump into action when he needs to you know when there is that fire or when he needs to take you know there's a struggle of taking back control so so he does show his action sort of side in there because you, you do think maybe he's a bit of a bookworm or whatever, yeah. but he really isn't, is he? And he, he's, so, he's, you see him, he builds relationships with characters very well mm-hmm. in, in it, you know, because well, obviously he comes into a little bit, of, he he steps in as the EXO officer just before the mission and it was a crew that have been together for years and, and grew so they all knew their place so he was always going to be the outsider coming in apart from the character I am going to talk about so because it's too hard to choose between them I, I, I have I'd, gone I'd, it'd be and I think what makes the film is the two sides of the same coin blah blah all that type of stuff is to split them two Hackman and Washington it, no, it's the it whole it's, it's, it's the point of the movie as well that you know that how 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 they react in this situation and how they make the decisions they make is is absolutely yeah. the, the film. So I'm going to go with Vigo's character there. Okay. So he just ends up playing like a vital part of the movie. Yes. So he controls the safe to the nuclear ignition keys basically and then he's torn because he is good friends with Denzel Washington's character and has been oh, friends uh, yes, for yes, years. Yes, because we get that typical scene at the start where they're... Which they're I'm in... going to talk about as well. <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, for, so I think with Vigo's character, he knows Gene Hackman's the captain. He knows he's in charge. He's probably worked with him for years, but Washington's his friend. But for Vigo's character, it does come down to... Is he doing the right thing? Regardless of the orders from Washington, yes. regardless of what Hackman's saying, that that character's so vital. Because if that was someone who 
just followed orders, he, he would have gone either way, depending on yes. you know, what he's being told by either one. But he has to make he makes that decision in the end, and I don't think his relationship with Washington and his relationship with Hackman's character has anything to do with it. No, because in 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 instances without giving too much away, he sides with both at different points of the. Yeah, yeah. So but it, ultimately, it, it comes down to a moment where he has to make yes. his own decision. I think so. I've gone with Vigo as my favorite character because it it it's such a like it's not a massive part in the overall scheme of the film. There, the two yes. leads, but that scene with him and his scenes with both with you know both characters, he, he's so good in it. So I, good. I think, and I can't remember the the character that I really liked in it is the. The boat, the main boat guy. So when actually is that the technical term? Yeah, the main <laughs> boat guy. <laughs> because there's Washington um, Hackman's like the captain, and then Washington's like the the XO officer, and the the person who's who's basically Hackman's second in command. Yeah. The older guy. He was the when Hackman tried to do what he did. He was the first one to step up and go. Yeah. He's- no, you're wrong. There are rules yeah, here. Yeah. We do have to follow, and his his he's pivotal as well because yeah. he easily when Hackman gives and, the and, orders and he doesn't go with Washington because he likes Washington no. either. Do you know what I mean? He even says that one scene where they're locked up in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, "I'm not doing this because I lay you. I'm doing it because what Hackman did initially." Was break the rules. He couldn't. He couldn't get rid of an XO officer just yeah. because he, he questioned his decision. And that's what it, within the film. There's so many layers of all these like sorts of fail safe mechanisms to stop a nuclear war. And you realise that it is. There's. It's quite complicated, and it's complicated for a reason because yeah. you just don't want people setting off nuclear weapons. <laughs> um, and it does explain in the closing credits how those mechanisms have changed. Yes, not based yeah. on the film, but <laughs> just in, in just in general, those those rules about who can and can't launch. But I was doing a um, pre-podcast. Obviously, we do our research on this because we're because we're, we're that good. Is it is actually based on a true life incident. In but it was the Russian army in the Cuban Missile Crisis, um, what went on on a Russian submarine ship, in that exactly the same scenario is the message was only part received, and they had that whole argument on a submarine as do we do we set this right. this nuclear weapon off or not, and it and when you actually think that actually really happened. In whatever it was in the early sixties, you think, Christ, that was like when you realise when <laughs> so people close it probably yeah, came. Yeah, it was literally a matter of, and with you know, and what's really interesting is that at the end of the film is when you both get sort of equivalent to like a court martial where they have to go up on in front of the admiral to explain their actions. The the main admiral guy was like, you were both right and you were both wrong. Yeah. Which is fascinating as well because they they realise and why they couldn't really do anything is because it was the system that was kind of broke. If that makes sense, the system they had, even though there were so many failsafe yeah. mechanisms in that system to stop a, a nuclear warfare, it came down to the fact that it basically took two mutinies on a submarine because Hackman was was locked up. He was taken out of yeah. command. Then he got his his crew together. Then he, then he took over, and it was like <laughs> it was in, in essence, it was absolute chaos. But and, and and watching the whole film as well as you as you you're going through, it comes down to what you just said, like about both being right, both being wrong. You don't know yourself watching the film. You can't make it. I don't think you can sit there and make a decision and go, Gene Hackman's definitely right. Yes. Or Denzel Washington's definitely right. You fl- you will flip. You'll watch this film and you'll flip and go. I think they should do this. And then 10 minutes later, you'll be like, actually, do you know what? I, when that clock's counting down, because so basically what happens is they, they get a message that says, you know, Russia are arming their weapons. Yes. It'll happen in 60 minutes. And that clock starts. And during that 60 minutes, you will probably flip between who's right and who's wrong and, and what's, the, what's the best thing to do. I think it comes down to, for most viewers who watch a film, his their personality i 
always and I did I, I identified more with the Washington character because he was very measured and he was all about is we do I think it was the the, the quote where they sat around the table he says the the biggest enemy or something the, the way it was something it's the um, the biggest issue of war is, the, is war when, itself. yeah when it comes to nuclear war it's war itself is the true enemy because what he was trying to say is as soon as someone steps up to the plate in a nuclear war everyone loses and I think that was that was very interesting and what was quite looking back the 90s in context was probably the time in the world where it was like the least dangerous when it came to nuclear wars because of the fall of, of the, the Soviet Union and the Cold War, which I was peaking his eighties and nineties. So for them to, the film sort of came out in the nineties is is a bit historically in a bit of a random time, but it's it's a reminder of how close we have been previously to to, and and what we already alluded to before. And, is, and don't forget these these guys have got no connection to the outside world. No. As far as they're concerned, Russia are about to launch yes. their nuclear weapons, and if they don't do something, you know, it's it, everything's lost, really. So yeah. I know where you're coming from. I think when you're watching the film, Denzel Washington's such a likable actor; he's brilliant. You want to side with him, but I think it's also purposely done that the Hackman character has got things you don't like about him, but you can't absolutely say he's wrong no, <laughs> no. can you because it, it, he his mantra is to just is to just act and to go you know and I think when it comes to history of of war is littered with indecision is sometimes mm. the, the worst thing so it, it is it's a, it, it's a fascinating and it is lit the whole film boils down to two personalities and how they come to their decisions and how that 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 but i do feel like all the way through the film hackman is always slightly prodden washington all the way through like just little little gentle jabs yeah, here it's it's just, it's but but washington does back down because if you think back to the scene where so there's a scene sort of very near the start where the, the ship's first about to emerge and then washington's smoking the cigar Yes. And he says to him, like, you know, how would you find it? Or whatever it was. And then you quickly realise Denzel Washington never smoked a cigar in yes. his life. So he, he does pander to him a little bit. He yeah. didn't have to do that. And, you know, the, the whole dynamic between them is just is brilliant. Yeah. So we come to our next question. And it is obviously to film. So what is your favourite scene? So the last 60 minutes is basically filmed in real time. Yes. If you, you know, if you go back and watch it again, you you realise once that clock starts ticking, there's, there's no level up, is there's no yeah. jumps or you know big and big it, edits it's, or it, anything. It's intermittent with the, with the clock as well. So yeah, with because yeah. they know where that they've got a certain time at which point the Russians are capable of yeah. launching the nuclear. But the scene that scene that I picked and the scene that I really love only because I always think in any movies less is always more. And I think I've said less is always more already <laughs> in one of our other uh, podcasts. But there's a scene where Ackman and Gandolfini and a few of other kind of armed guards, they take back control of the of the submarine from Denzel Washington. And there's just a bit where Denzel's just looking around and he makes eye contact with the, the people that have helped Hackman and they can't look him in the eye. Yes. And, you know... They have betrayed him, and it's just the way that it's just brilliant. There's, there could have been dialogue there. Yes, he could have looked at each of those characters and said, "Why are you doing this?" or "Don't do this," or whatever. And he doesn't. He just looks around, and he's and not one of them. And it cuts to each one of them, and everyone just averts their eyes and and it, won't do the eye contact. And I, I just think it's brilliant. I would not be surprised if maybe it wasn't originally scripted that way. I think that comes from. You have such a great actor that Denzel Washington could pull. You see, most most scenes would have to have some sort of dialogue because the you know the, you know, and I think I don't know. You just wonder how often some bits are improvised, but I think when you Washington is so good, he he can get away. 
he that doesn't scene have plays to. better in silence, yes. doesn't it? You know, yeah. I know yeah. there is dialogue obviously leading up to it, but it's just that it's that moment of Washington knows he's like, you know, he's got to leave. That's it. You know, the kind of the the these guys are taking back control of the submarine and just that look around because the thing is, and we mentioned Tarantino writing some of the dialogue. Yes. Um, he just he basically comes in and adds in some pop culture references, and you'll get them straight away because yes. there's a, an argument over you know Silver Surfer character from the comics. Yes. So I just think when you've got like great writing already, you've got Tarantino backing up and punching up some of the script. To, for one of my favourite scenes to be a bit with no dialogue yeah. is the bit that I've picked because I just think yeah, for me sometimes in films, less is more. Definitely. Definitely. Now what's interesting for me is. My favorite bit in the film is it's it's a line that Gene Hackman says, and it's it's it, it, as it's sort of coming to the end of it, and he's he basically turns around to Denzel Washington and goes, "Here, we are here to prefer to pre- sorry, we are here to preserve democracy, not to practice it." And if you mm. actually think about that, it's quite a powerful saying, and it's basically it's it's it was a line. Um, came from a speech of, of of one of the the founders of the FBI and what it's saying is in somewhere like America for all it's 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 who harder it's it it's all about democracy and the people blah 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 underneath that some people have got to get their hands dirty and that's what Hackman was saying and that that that's that's you know and if you think about what the FBI do they do a lot of underhand things but we you know we're not going to say too much <laughs> but get cut off <laughs> yeah but in order to have on the outside a country that's free open and democratic underneath you have to have an agency or people who are prepared to just go against that in order to protect it and that is when you start getting into the philosophy like what is how how much is it worth democracy when you've got to go down that route and I just think it's a, fa- a fantastic line and for Hackman the way he delivered it, it was just oh god that was like you know, when he, he said it it was like literally straight away it just struck me and I I obviously know actor because I tried to read it off a, a page there and completely <laughs> completely best messed it no up no Oscar nomination for definitely you, no Oscar nomination for me um, just a vazzy <laughs> I've been made up. I'll take a Razzie I've been made I'd up say, well, I would like, go collect it I would yeah. way a lot of actors don't I know obviously like I think Halle Berry went and go airs didn't she and um, there's someone else quite famous that collected theirs as well I would go I oh would, hell all day go. long I yeah. think you'd, yeah you'd have to so moving on to the next question which is throughout the film what is the best song or piece of music so Hans Zimmer does the score for this. Yes. Um, I think it's one of his best. It did win him a Grammy as well. Um, if you don't know the name Hans Zimmer, you'll definitely know his music. Gladiator, Pirates of the Caribbean, the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. He's done other Nolan movies like Inception, Interstellar. He's just a living like, legend. Like there's a couple of big ones when it comes to musical scores. Hans Zimmer, John Williams. Yeah, John Williams, amazing, yeah. Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman. Um, and they pretty much, like, for 30, 40 years, have done all the big Hollywood films. But Hans Zimmer... And what's quite interesting about this as well, because I was, was doing do movie research, is Hans Zimmer actually was one of the few times he experimented with synthesizers mm. as well, which I thought was quite interesting. The music... Obviously, there's there's, there's big orchestral music and there's, and there's like, choirs some songs were like choirs as well there's voices in there but he said he experimented with one of his first experimentations with synthesizer music which is really interesting as well because it's just like you know, yeah you think you know oh it's just classical big big score and it's not he actually he was he was actually experimenting with it as if well if you go on youtube um you'll be there for hours i think just listening to loads of hans zimmer yeah stuff i think the one i would pick is just the main theme for the movie. Yeah. And, you know, it sort of runs throughout the movie. That's the one. Just go on, Hans Zimmer, Crimson Tide main theme, get in your car, drive around with it it's, on. <laughs> it's, yeah. You know, it's it's a proper sort of thumping theme. But, yeah, that that the main theme is, is the best part, but Hans Zimmer in general is just unreal. 
Okay, so that brings us to another question, which uh, this is probably one of my favourite questions since we've been doing a podcast is, what, if anything, would you do to make it better? So this is all, I, I really like this question that we come up with. It's always a hard one because yeah. we're talking about our favourite films. Things we love. Our favourite TV yeah. shows, things we love. So it's always hard to be kind of critical of the things we love. So, you know, it's a tight two hours, this movie. And, you know, yeah. the majority is spent on the submarine. Did we need the opening scene with Mosh and Turner Morton at the kids' party and Washington saying goodbye to his family? Maybe not. I, you know, we could have established that they were friends yeah. just on the ship. I think, you know... The, my less is more theory again where Washington could have just had a picture of his family and then yeah. we know what's kind of at stake. So I, I, I totally get the motives behind it. You know, Mortison being Denzel's friend drives part of the story, doesn't mm. it? Um, and we obviously see Washington's got something to live for and, you know, the things he wants to save. I just think if, you, if I've absolutely got to answer that question, that's one. I okay. think you're going to lose that. But I also think there's a line I would take out because I don't think you need it. And it's where, like, Gene Hackman's character just drops off this kind of, like, casual sort of racism, which just seems so unnecessary in the whole scope of the film. And when you come down to the final moments of the movie and the respect that they have for each other, spoilers, you know, they, yeah. they do, that bit taints it a little bit. And I think... In, in that situation, I think the Washington character wasn't as upset about it as maybe he should have been, and just seem it just seems to be glossed over See, later on. I I find that quite fascinating because, like I said, I'd not seen the film since I went to see it in pictures when I was like sixteen. So it's like you know we've grew up a fair bit since then, um, and I honestly felt the undertone was there all the way through the film. See, of, I didn't. That's maybe my problem. I didn't I didn't feel it was. I thought Gene Ashland respected all the crew, even Washington and everyone along. And I, I think there's a difference I, because... I don't know. Of, I didn't pick up on it until that, maybe until that line. And that's, maybe that's why I don't like the line, because I didn't pick this, up on it. I, I, and I think he's that military mentality as they're all his men so he will he will die for them but that underlying and we are talking about racing because without giving it too much of a way they're talking about these horses that they're trained we can talk about the line without it's not so much a spoiler you're right yeah um, you can tell them what it so is so basically it's it's the standoff right at the end before as they're waiting for the the message to actually come through once they finally made contact and early in the film washington alludes to the fact that he's he he's a big one of his hobbies is horse right is horse riding and washington asks him about those those horses i'm not even going to attempt the name of the <laughs> but he turned around and he said oh, have you seen these horses they're amazing well trained and he said they're white and it, and it's alluding to because they're the most amazingly yeah. intelligent trained horses. And at which Denzel Blossom turned around and goes, Well, actually, they're, they're not Portuguese. They're, they're Spanish and they're also black when they're born. And it's like, Oh. That, so, and I think that's why you say he doesn't get angry with it because I think at the time, American military ninety five. It was still quite rich. so for Denzel Washington to have actually had a successful career as a black man at that time, he would have actually learned to not swallow it, but to be to go on and prove people even more. So hence, yeah. he, he the fact that he's very he's a deep thinker, he's intelligent, goes against all them obvious lazy tropes. Of of who black men are, or black black people are just good at sports and being strong and all that. Washington is so intelligent and clever in this film, and so so I I I honestly I really picked up and I, and I was and I was writing it down on my notes, and I'm like, is it? And then when that scene 
came off it reinforced that maybe deep down in my subconscious I remembered that scene from when I seen was 16 so it was always there and back of my mind yeah, I don't yeah. know but I'm going to say something here as well is I think that's a Tarantino input and, Possibly, I'll, t- yeah. and I'll tell you why it completely reminds me of the scene between Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper in True Romance yeah, it's a tense. Where they have that standoff and a conversation about mm. um, the history of Sicily. And I just, the minute I heard again, I was like, I wonder if that is a Tarantino. Because Tarantino does love touching about race and film. And he's very, very, he's very clever at just pressing buttons. In all his films, I just for me, for me, it's 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 probably true to form, isn't it? You know, probably those, maybe those people in the military did think like that and say those things, and and you know that probably is what happened. I just think in the context of the movie, it's I think it taints Gene Hackman's character for for no just for no reason. I don't for me, this is me personally. Yeah, yeah. I just don't think the line that that interaction is necessary. Because I didn't get on any undertones up to that point. It was just a case of, I think, he treated Washington with respect all the way through. And at the end, they both treated him with respect. Yeah, yeah. So that line is kind of like, why have that? Why throw, I, why throw that in? It just seems unnecessary for I, me. And I'm sure, you know, it, it probably comes down to, like you say, you know, how people were treated in the military and and it, all those kind of undertones. But I just think for the... For the the movie itself, it didn't it didn't need it. It didn't need it. But that's and, just my and, and I love the, the the end when scene because I've got to answer that question. Yes. They're the two things I picked. <laughs> it's interesting because I I completely get what you're saying with that scene, but for me, it's the most fascinating bit of dialogue because it it's electric and it that's oh, and act, that that, that, that makes yeah, me yeah. think that that really does make me think why it is it is Tarantino because straight away I thought. That's the Hopper Walken scene in True Romance. And he he has that ability, Tarantino, to puncture extreme moments with banal conversation or banal movements. Like another example I always think of is um oh what's this oh, what's the name of the film? The one set in Germany. Christopher Waltz character. Glorious bastards. Yes, he's he's hunting. He's in that hut with the girl. Who's I think she's yeah, she's, she's on the run, and he's just that. eating cake. And the, you know, this is where we find out that he didn't like that scene, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would. I we're just presuming because he did punch up the script. We definitely know the Silver Surfer. And the reference to the Robert Mitchum submarine film earlier yeah, on. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's definitely, definitely Tarantino. That's got him all I, I, I would, I. I would love, get love. Would we ever get the opportunity? If anyone out there listening gets the opportunity to speak to Tarantino, I'd love to know. <laughs> Just did, ask him. Did he actually add that 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 scene about the black white horses from Portugal? And I do love the little callback right at the end where they'd all go, they'd all been to in front of the admiral, and Hackman is walking away and he goes, "You were right. They were from Portugal." Or, or Spain or whatever, he says he loses like basically. Oh yeah, you were right about that, but yeah, not there's about, a big pause, isn't it, yeah. between kind of you and and, and I still love because again it was that that strong will of you know opinion who you know I think even as Hackman walked away and without giving too much away, he basically resigned at that point. Is he still believed what he did was completely hundred percent right? So and that's yeah, and, yeah. and and I mean that was great about it. That, again, I know what you're saying about that 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 scene, that line. I found it fascinating. I just thought it, it's just absolutely fascinating. Okay, so what impression, if any, did it make? So worldwide, it made 157 million dollars, which is treble its budget. Um, but I also just think it is one of Tony Scott's best films. Yes. Um, you know, he, he's an excellent, like, action thriller director. I think he's very underrated. I think his brother tends to... If Ridley Scott didn't exist, 
Tony Scott would be an even better director, and that sounds terrible. But I do. Do, do you get what I mean? I think, I think Ridley makes the big blockbuster movies that also win Oscars. Like yes. Gladiator is a big budget movie, but a big popcorn movie. Yeah, yeah. But it, you know, but Alien. Oh, yeah. He makes big films, but like you said earlier. I feel like Tony Scott made films for us when we were 16. Yeah. Oh. If, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. like, it was like he 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 said, what film would Liam and Dave like, want? And Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop 2 and True Romance, definitely. Enemy of the State is such a good film. Yes. Will, Will Smith and um, Gene Hackman are both the leads in that one. It, and they play off each other the same yeah. way these two are it, doing this. Because when I was watching again, I was, I was thinking about, the, obviously, the, the other big Tony Scott, Brockheimer Simpson, is Top Gun. And I'm thinking, oh, similarities here. You've got a US military, blah, 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 blah. A sort of Cold War incident that happens. And then actually when I was, I love thinking about it, is they complete, it's like they flipped it because the essence of Top Gun is the argument of someone who's a maverick who goes against the grain which is the system is what you need in 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 war situation whereas a field crimson tide flips it the other way because it's the washington no you need the measured approach and theory and and i think i don't know maybe tony's got was quite attracted to that because they were for all of the, the the big open scenes of Top Gun, Crimson Tide is all filmed on a submarine. It's all very, it's not claustrophobic, like you said, but it is almost opposite. Whereas all you know, Top Top Guns like big like planes in the sky, loads of it cinematography, and then Crimson Tide again is completely opposite. It's all very tense, a lot more dialogue, you know, because. Mm, and real time, like you said, that last hour is yeah, yeah. delivered. And I find that between the two films, similarities and complete opposites as well. And, and I must must have must have crossed his mind, Tony Scott, when he made it, that you know picked out the similarities and differences between the two because um, you know Top Gun is possibly my childhood. If you do, do you know what I mean? So <laughs> I'm gonna love that film, but. He's, he does such a great job on Crimson Tide. It's it's such I, I think he's such an underrated director and you've only just reminded me about his death. I'd completely forgotten about that and Yes, it, yeah, it was it was shocking at the time when it mm. you know when it was on, on the news and um and it is such a shame that we didn't get more films from it. I mean, one of the last ones he did with Washington Man on Fire that is such a good film and I don't think you get kind of you probably don't get the John Wick films and yeah you know some of those other films about Man on Fire because it, it's that's such a good film if you've never seen it listen and that's one of like Tony Scott's last ones I, I don't think we get MCU without Tony Scott films because he the difference what MCU does is combine that action and that little bit of elements of not 100% taking it seriously that's that's Beverly Hills that's that's you know that quick that quick one-liners yeah. that's Tom Cruise do you know what I mean it's it's it I, I just think you I don't think he gets enough credit at all Tony Scott and he you know you go back through history and he defied he defined the late 80s 90s with some of his films yeah definitely definitely and I think I think it probably is because the stars in his films are so big that maybe he gets a little bit yeah. possibly and, overlooked. But. And it was going back to the thing we mentioned before, because Val Kilmer said it was one of the most best film he ever worked on. He, yeah. And he, 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 it, was, it was interesting because he only did the film because he had a contract with Paramount. It was almost like he was forced to make it. He said, I had a contract with Paramount. Blah, blah, blah. And he said, actually working with Tony Scott, I feel like he gets big performances from big stars if that makes sense you could go back and say like is that Christian Slater's best ever performance in True Romance yeah absolutely do you know what I mean you could literally go back over Tony Scott films and pick out does Eddie Murphy get any better than Beverly Hills Cop 
it defines mm. his career. And yeah, I mean, Tony Scott did do the sequel, which which I think is better. I I, I I know. I think the fair that the first one's still my favorite. The second one is great. The second one definitely. If you watch the if you watch a few Tony Scott films, and then go go and watch Belial's Cop Two. You'll instantly recognise that's a Tony Scott. Yes, <laughs> Tony yeah. Scott film because of the action that's in it. Um, but yeah, it's 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 definitely like Eddie Murphy's career defining yeah. role, isn't it? It's what he's most identified for. But yeah, um, yeah. It, there's not more we can say about Tony Scott. I don't think. Just I think for that question, in what impression it made, I think it's a Tony Scott appreciation moment and yeah. just you know go back i i just think if you've never seen true romance you've just have that to it, your list. It, yeah go and watch it so how can the listener watch crimson so tide you can watch it right now on disney plus if you got a subscription or you can go and pay to watch it on youtube you can watch it on google and you can watch it on amazon prime so lots of places to go i think it's I was quite made up as on, on Disney Plus and I feel like Disney Plus has got a little stack of these similar type films on and I feel like they're slowly they've got more you can put on Disney Plus and they're holding back because every you know they they must have a big back catalogue of films. Oh, especially yeah. now that they've took over in essence the Fox Studio as well, haven't they? Um there must be like a shed load of films and I feel like they don't fully put them all on there, but it is they've got great 90s films on Disney Plus and I think it, it it's you can go back there's a few films on there I need to rewatch that I need to rewatch that so Disney Plus is good shout okay if our beautiful listener loves Crimson Tide what else would they like well the first film that comes to mind is Hunt for Red October yes um, which got Sean Connery and Alec Baldwin it's another submarine set movie it's a classic um, just like this, I don't think you can like one without loving mm. the other one. Um, they're just great films. Uh, das Boot obviously is probably the most famous like submarine film. But do you know what I would recommend? There's a Jude Law movie uh, called Black Sea, uh, which is a submarine movie. Um, I would watch that. But another film that's not a war movie but is a classic, just because it's about submarines, The Abyss, uh, from James Cameron. Mm. Um, if you want to go down that route <laughs> go, go down them depths yeah go down them depths well done um, but I just think as well other movies that'll just give you the same level of anxiety because this is a tense movie mm. especially those 60 minutes there's um, not a lot of action and considering we, we've just been going on about how good Tony Scott is at big action sequences there's not a lot of action in this film It it's action but played out not in a you know, kicky, like, kicky punch. There's no big, there's <laughs> no big, like stunt set pieces like cars blowing up and blah blah blah. It, it's, it's all about choreography of of the men on the boat, and it was really well done. Yeah, the, I mean, obviously the scene when the the other Russian submarine turns up it is an action scene, but like you say, not you only sort of you don't see a lot. Uh, uh, like 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 a Marvel film would that yeah, would be two yeah, ships yeah, yeah, fighting yeah, each yeah, other yeah. and shooting and all sorts going on. You know, it's not it's not a very long scene, but it's so tense. Um, I think for the same level of tenseness, if you've never seen it, the firm because we're talking about Gene Hackman. Okay, that is a tense movie. That's I think it's from the John Grisham uh, book. It's got Tom Cruise. So if you haven't seen that, if you love Crimson Tide, if you love Gene Hackman, you've got to watch the firm. Um, Argo, I think yes. Ben Affleck is Argo. is a tense, tense yeah. movie. It's yeah, um, yeah, and Captain Phillips with Tom Hanks as well. I mean, just similar movies where if you love that, like, you know, that edgy seat stuff, you don't mm. know where this is gonna go, what's gonna happen, who's gonna live, who's gonna die. Um, they're the films I'd recommend. I think. Okay, the the only thing I've still got here on my notepad of notes is I found it's not found interesting but it made me sort of giggle a little bit is when the film was in production they um, Simpson Brockheimer was sort of in communication with the US Navy at the time and 
they sort of got them on board by going, we're going to do basically a Top Gun underwater. And they were like, oh, yeah, because basically, if you remember after Top Gun, the subscription to the, <laughs> the American Air Force were like shot through the roof. It was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it was basically, they, could go, they literally do setting up stalls and cinemas in America at the time. People would just join up. So, so I think the, the US Navy thought, oh, just dishing out aviator glasses. Yeah, saying, yeah, you know. Put you know, these on, kids. You got I just in. want to go and play volleyball and all that. But, um, so the US Navy was so excited about being involved. But when they actually got to hear and see the script, which is not the most complimentary about the it's US. It's a mutiny, isn't it? Yes. You know? So they completely backed off and said, no, we're, we're not involved. And at that point, they were, they were going to use it, the US Navy submarine. And literally, they were like, nah, well, you're not having enough. So they had to go and film all the interior scenes on a French Navy yeah. submarine. But... They needed footage of the scene where you know, they take off on top of water and it goes underwater, yeah. which is a lovely scene because that's where Hackman and Washington do it, smoking a cigar, and it's that that last moment before it goes underwater, and a couple of scenes just as it as it comes out of the port, um. So they did a bit of research and found out it wasn't actually illegal to just rack up <laughs> and import with a helicopter and film a US nuclear submarine <laughs> so they literally guerrilla filmed the, the yeah. footage and just by chance it was the USS Alabama which Same is name. the film and it's a complete fluke and I just love the idea of for all what we think about Hollywood of all this money some things are just done off the but there's, there's more off. to that story as well which is the captain told them to stop filming like Sydney on on radio with them, however he got in contact with him, told him to stop filming Tony Scott and the crew said no. So the captain submerged the submarine, which is exactly what, what Tony did... Scott was waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got the perfect scene, like I say, by just, just going out there and, and, and filming it. So um, I think on that note, we will go down with the submarine. Yeah. On the podcast. Dave, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Liam.